Welcome everybody to Black Coffee and Theology. Hey everyone, welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> so, hey, first I want to say that I apologize for my sound setup. I am traveling, so things may sound a bit different. It is also true that you might not like my sound setup in general, so there's that. Uh, hey, <laughs> that's a reality. Uh, so, with that said, I have a special conversation for you on the pod today, and it is with Ayana Mathis. <sighs> Ayana is uh, a special individual, <laughs> she is a writer. She is a psychology student, which she'll talk about. She works full-time. She is a wife, and she is just such a delightful person. She is raw. She's open, honest, and she is light. Uh, that's the thing that I think of when I think of Ayana. Super funny, super open and in the conversation today we talk about deconstructing from a black lens what it means to deconstruct when you're black and you have issues with the church and (laughs) you're black Um, we talk about spiritual abuse as well and yes I love that this conversation continues the theme of the season who is God to us now I think you will have a whole lot of laughs some thoughts that will be provoked from the things that we share and there was so much in this conversation that I had to do a part one and a part two we just got into too many things and Uh, I'm playing around with the format of the the podcast, so I let it just ride straight through because Ayana was saying some things. So sit back, relax, laugh, and get into it. Something my husband and I talk about often is we try to do the least nowadays. Like we're trying to do the absolute least. Period. I'm not trying to do the most anymore. What is the least that I have to have in order to faithfully follow God? And I don't mean that in a lazy sense. I mean that as in a, I got this, um, this color art. What was the name of that little box that had all the crayons and it had like a little pen yeah, yeah, thing yeah, in yeah, it? Yeah, 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 you know, yeah, you could fold yeah, it up and you could yeah, take yeah, it yeah. and carry it with you. Yeah. One of those. Yeah. What's the least amount of colors I got to have in my crayon box to follow Jesus? Because all these other colors, you know, I, I don't, I don't really need magenta. Like magenta's cool. Yeah, magenta doesn't really slap need, like that. Magenta don't hit like y'all thought it was hitting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I could do purple. Purple, can I have just like the primary, are the primary colors okay? Or do I need to have a variation of everything? Um, because it steals your joy. Like it literally sucks the joy from your soul. Thinking that there's so many things you have to tack on to Jesus, that you have to tack on to God in order to be a believer and there's just so much more freedom and knowing what is their minimum like i'm literally yeah. what's the bare minimum because that's what i'm trying to do it's <laughs> the absolute bare minimum <laughs> so
right everybody welcome back to the pod and welcome ayana Hi. <laughs> uh y'all i'm so excited for <laughs> this podcast and you will have already heard a stunning introduction uh before this conversation uh so with that aside uh ayana thank you for coming on and uh, I'm so excited. I'm, I, when I, re I'll say something about you and then I'll have you talk about yourself. Okay. I, I met Ayana virtually on the Twitter streets. And the first thing I noticed, I, I actually remember the post <laughs> that I interacted oh, with. <laughs> and uh, you said something to the effect of, I, will be whatever I need to be to bring a uh, deliverance to my people mm. and it like you named the things I'm gonna be this I'm gonna be this I'm gonna be this oh, and, yeah, I remember that and I the way that that first it tickled me <laughs> um, and uh it would it shows such boldness and such like you can label me as whatever you gonna label me uh I'm gonna be it <laughs> to bring deliverance and healing and wholeness and uh it tickled me and uh I was like let me follow her right now <laughs> that, that was it I was like today um to this day and so uh since following you you have uh such nuance of love and light and laughter that's one dimension that I enjoy about you but you're also this raw energy of, hey, I'm gonna tell you exactly like it is. <laughs> I'm gonna name white supremacy in every <laughs> space that I'm in, but I'm also going to name times where I'm not doing well, uh, mm -hmm. times that I'm um, in pain. And I've just enjoyed your presence uh, in the online streets. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. I'm so humbled by that. Yeah. Inserts Kim K crying face. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you're also my cutting up twin. I feel like yes. whenever I need to laugh at something <laughs> foolish, I know I can <laughs> always uh, tag you on. <laughs> so thank you. I appreciate that. And you do the same. Um, yeah. yeah. I. It's funny because when I saw that you were following me, I was like, wait, where has this guy been all, all my life? Because I didn't know he existed. I was like, this is perfect. Like people like this actually exist. And so I'm really grateful for the interwebs um, connecting us all together. It's true. So uh, tell us uh, a bit about yourself, who you are, how you show up in the world, what things are important to you. Uh, yeah. So... Uh, as Robert said earlier, my name is Ayana Mathis, and I am an almost 30-something, five, one and a half um, Black woman living in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I have been deeply shaped by the South. I'm originally from Jacksonville, Florida. Um, so you get every bit of Black culture and white supremacy um, mixed together let's just be real. Uh, and so, yeah, um, things that are important to me, I think rest is important to me, a good meal. I love seafood. So we got to throw that in there. Um, and honestly, like being able to feel good in my skin 
and where I am um, and to be present and to feel like I am contributing something meaningful to those in my life and the world around me. I find those things to be very important. Um, and so, yeah, I would say that um, I think the thing that like sets my soul on fire, if you will, or just really energizes me is advocacy work and being able to like point people to what resources and options that they have available to them. I feel like that's my life's goal. Like, let me let you, like, let me put you on because someone put me on and I only know what I know because I got put on by somebody else. So let me put you on, whether that be you realizing that you don't have to stay in a church that's toxic and unhealthy. Maybe that looks like you knowing that you can leave a theological system that doesn't serve you well. Maybe that maybe you knowing that it's okay to take anxiety medication if that's what you need. Um, or that, you know, you need to go to the doctor and figure out what's going on with your body because the pain that you're feeling every day is not normal, although it may be common. And so I just, I feel like God has put me on this earth aside from to glorify God, obviously, but um, to enjoy life and to share opportunities and to share options and resources and good news with people that can um, change their life for the better and to help them along their journey here. So that's me. <laughs> that's me. What it is. I I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. Especially the enjoying part, right? Yeah. And on the table today for discussion is who is God to us now? Mm. And I'm excited for this combo. Uh, so who is God to us now? And to frame this conversation, I, I think it's important to sketch out We've been on a journey both individually and I have seen just glimpses of your story uh, mm -hmm. through, again, through the Twitter streets and you've been transparent about how you have evolved uh, in knowing God and coming to this place of enjoying God uh, and it hasn't been devoid of pain. You've, mm -hmm. you've named that out one by <laughs> one. Um, and you are at this 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 place in now of I, I would say evolution, but I don't know how you would you would say, but you you've you've grown, right? And so I wanted to invite you on because often we can use the word deconstruction. Mm -hmm. um, um, deconstruction is a popular topic right now uh, in the Christian uh, realm, and uh, and we can talk about how we define deconstruction first. But right. uh, uh, deconstruction often is looked at um, in the Christian circles, it, and it is debated ad nauseum by often white people. Right. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I I don't know another I'm stuttering because I don't know a way to say it. Um, so often white people talk about deconstructing their faith, leaving the faith, and there isn't any airtime given to black people as we examine our faith, as we divest from toxic theologies, as yeah. we talk about where we are now with God. And mm -hmm. I wanted <laughs> I wanted to come and we have a conversation together about who God is to us now. So yeah. 
just as we enter into this conversation, are there any thoughts you have on even how you define deconstruction? Um, yeah, and from a Black perspective, what what are yeah, your thoughts? You got to put some seasoning on it because it's been a little bland lately. It's yeah, some, it is. Some lowries and some adobo. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, like when I think of deconstruction, and let me be clear, for Black folks, deconstruction is not new. We've been deconstructing forever. Um, and if, if I want to give like a concrete example, the fact that the Bible that enslaved Black folks were given to read was not the full thing. And a lot of parts were taken out to keep us from knowing God fully and truthfully and honestly. Us now having the ability to uh, embrace literacy um, and to unpack and, and learn scripture through a lens that's not just force fed to us by white supremacists, um, I think is just an, a concrete example of deconstruction for black folks. Like we've been doing this, but my, my definition of deconstruction would be, and I told Robert this earlier, like it's literally to me laying everything you have on the table and removing the things that don't serve you well and embracing things that do serve you well and being willing to invite nuance, invite hard conversations, invite all of the process that comes with that, whether that be emotional, um, that physical feeling that you have as you're shedding off a weight or embracing something that literally can make your life better. Um, That's what I think of when I think of deconstruction. Uh, And we're gonna get into this a little bit because we talked about this earlier, but like deconstruction definitely looks unique for black folks. And I'm excited to just underscore some of those things with you. Yeah, we definitely, we gonna, we gonna get into it. <laughs> and so the things that, that don't serve us, I want to weave a bit of your story into that uh, because it's illuminated into my mind. Can you share with us things from your Christian life, from your walk in general, some of those as you've examined your walk, some of those theological systems, church systems that haven't served you, that have caused you pain, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, That you are divesting from. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. So the first and most prominent one that probably comes to mind because a lot of my uh, experiences with pain in regards to this come from this umbrella, like there's things underneath umbrella. Uh, but Reformed theology um, and the Reformed community. I was in the Reformed community for about five years, um, and I saw it all. I saw it all, and I I took of it all, if you will, um, being invited certain places because I had the right cadence in my voice towards certain topics, um, being embraced by certain people or certain groups within Reformed theology because I beat to the drum that everyone else was beating to. Um, I wasn't questioning certain things that should have been questioned. And uh, for me, it took, honestly, the Holy Spirit opening my eyes to the fact that everything 
where I was wasn't as green as I thought it was. Um, and it really clicked for me. Like that TikTok's like, what's what's not clicking, Steven? What's not clicking, Ayana? What wasn't clicking for me or was seeing, and I'm am I allowed to name drop? Okay. Um yeah, seeing James White cut a fool online <laughs> and watching my reformed. I'll call them cousins, my reformed cousins, um, you know, not even bat an eyelash at it. And I remember feeling like, wow, we've named so many quote unquote false teachers outside of this community without being honest and vocal about the ones on the inside. And when I started to notice that yeah. inconsistency and that like that energy towards, oh, let's let's get them out there. It made me wonder what all was I missing that was in here. Um, and I think that I think that started the the tumbling tower for me, the tumbling tower of blocks where I was able to say, OK, this isn't all that it's cracked up to be. It's not all that I've seen it to be. It's not all that I've experienced to be experienced it to be and I, I want to be clear because I think the temptation when divesting or leaving or removing yourself from a certain place or theological system the temptation is to act as if you didn't contribute anything towards it like I feel like if we're being honest about who we are and how we've grown it's totally okay to say or, or be honest about how we contributed to certain things I think that's a part of owning um, owning the practice, the spiritual practice of repentance and confession that, you know, I wrote blog posts that I'm not proud of today um, that I wish were scrubbed from the internet. Or I had conversations with people about certain things that I was like, you know, then I felt passionate about it and I felt like I was right. And then now I'm like, dang girl, like, what was that, you know? And so I definitely want to be clear, like, in a certain, um, to a certain degree, we can contribute to systems that we critique later once we leave them. Yeah. And it's okay to do that as long as we're willing to name and own up to the things that we contributed to them. And so, yeah, um, I feel like being in the reformed community gave me um, a big head, little arms, little feet, and a whole lot of depression around so many different things who I am as a woman, who I am as a black woman, what I am allowed to do as a, a woman, <laughs> what I'm not allowed to do as a woman, um, things that I should pursue, things that I shouldn't pursue. Um, just so many different things, even racially, certain things that I can talk about, certain things that I can't talk about. Or if I wanna stay within this group or stay with this invitation to teach for this organization, I have to, I have to move in this way, or I have to have this type of flair or air about myself. And uh, it's it's so funny because since leaving, and it is a leaving thing, like while reform theology is a theological system, if you will, it is a system at the end of the day. And so you, you literally have to leave behind the culture of it all. Um, and it's been, it's been tough. But it's been sweet because I didn't enjoy God before. And I thought I did. I thought I enjoyed God because I was learning so, so much about God. Like I thought I was 
because I was accumulating so much knowledge about God. I was like, oh yeah, I know God. Uh, this is great. This is sweet. And then when I was feeling um, like just waves of depression swoop in and I was trying to figure out how could I relate to God in this state that I'm in, it was like, oh, wow, I don't have anything concrete relationally to hold on to because I've seen God as wrathful only yeah. or, you know, this only. And it's so funny because you're told, well, God has all these attributes and, you know, we need to embrace and learn all of them. Like the math was not mathing for me. Hearing yeah. so many things that were like spoken of, like, oh, this is this. And then you see it not functionally happening. It's like, okay, what are we supposed to do with this if it's not functional? And so I think at the end of the day, it was functionality for me. I don't, mm. I don't enjoy God here. And so I need to find somewhere where I can. Can I say there, because I was in some adjacent communities <laughs> that were very envious of, mm -hmm. of the, I, the thing about the reformed theological camps are they, they promise certainty. And I think mm -hmm. there's a beauty in that, right? And everything is in its own little box. Yeah. And I think there's an attractiveness to that, right? And that's juxtaposed against emotionalism, chaos, um, people who are all over the place. Um, and then you see the beauty of all these little boxes that um, you can obtain them. And listening to you um, in the depression piece really um, is sticking with me. And I think a hypothesis is because you are observing something you can never obtain or actually interact with. Uh, the, and the reason the math is not mathing is God is beautiful, but you can never interact with that God. <laughs> um, God is beautiful only cerebrally, but that can mm -hmm. never touch your emotions. Yeah. Right. God is beautiful, but you can never laugh with that God. That's word. <laughs> right. That's word. Who, right. Who can laugh with God? Right. Like in, in that can't. state, I couldn't. I couldn't. Yeah. 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 And so then depression is the only natural outcome because God and you can never be together. And you spend so much time studying facts about this thing that you could never, the, the chasm between you is so great but then your preoccupation is this thing that you can, you can never obtain. Um, and I think that's almost sick in some ways to me, if I could say, because then you can never obtain it. Right. right. Yeah. So it's that like promising sense. someone um, a rebate on a purchase and they never get the rebate. Hmm. So like you spent this money on this item and you invested your time into it and you never got a return on your investment. Um, I just, uh, like, as someone who um, was Bible teaching heavy in the Reformed community, I ran into a snag when um, I felt like I was going, not felt like I was, I was experiencing a faith crisis of my own, questioning so many different things and getting back into the, onto the topic of deconstruction. Deconstructing in a Reformed space 
is so difficult when you are a person of color, uh, specifically a black person of color. Um, and there were so many concerns and questions that I had about things that I didn't even feel like I was safe enough to say aloud without someone, you know, criticizing me or accusing me of whatever insert adjective that you want to insert here. Um, I'll give an example. I knew I wouldn't be there much longer and I knew something was wrong when I had gotten so excited about purchasing my first Reformation study Bible. And this isn't exclusive to the Reformation study Bible. This is pretty much all but one, to my knowledge, maybe two, study Bibles that exist today. Um, when I went inside the, the, you know, the authorship flap of, you know, every book has them and who contributed to it and all of that study notes, blase, blase, blase. I was concerned when I didn't see any ethnic names for people who contributed to what I'm consuming for my spiritual formation, right? And what I'm using to teach others. I saw a list of white men in, 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 this, um, in this space that's sharing who did what and said what and contributed what. And I'm, I'm sitting here wondering to myself, like as a black woman who desires to encourage other black women and other black men, how, how can I do this with the lack of representation of our people in our sacred text? I just, I, I, I don't know, like, what do you do with that? Yes, Dr. Tony Evans has the study Bible now, and there's, there seems to be an advancement towards kingdom representation, if you will, um, with a lot of different resources that are coming out nowadays. But that that just didn't sit well with me. And the fact that when you ask people for book recommendations, majority of those people on there, maybe minus one or two token Black voices, were white. And it's just like, okay. Do I, do I belong here? Is there space for me? Um, and I'm not, I, I wanna be clear. I don't wanna speak on reformed theology as if it's just American because it's not just American. Um, clearly black folks have been contributing to reformed theology for a very long time. But I'm speaking uh, specifically about my experience here in the US um, and that's what it is. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, there's just so many things that I just felt like, man, there has to be others out here that feel this, yeah. but also have resources and who have knowledge and who have been having these conversations, people like yourself, where I could find a home at, because there, there became a point where I was like, I'm a nomad at this point. I don't have a home here. This feels uncomfortable. There's some roaches in the corner, some crumbs on the floor, and I need to find somewhere that has some breathing room and that has people who um, aren't all speaking the same language, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, you know, and thank you for sharing that, that it, because we're talking about pain and we're talking about these things, um, you know, some of the, the effects that led us here, right? 
And for me, as somebody who wasn't strictly reformed, but that was definitely in some camps that were (laughs) uh, adopting heavily, I resonate with a lot of what you're saying. And and so I think this uh, conversation is uh, very poignant uh, Mm -hmm. for me. Um, And I think it will be a blessing to people, Mm -hmm. especially Black people, Black peoples. for me, I can say that part of my unraveling um, in deconstruction was similar. Uh, I will say for me, the, the the first entrance for me where the math was not mathing in my own camps had to, were a few things. One, um, <laughs> uh, and I've said this in many spaces, Obama's first uh, election, uh, mm. uh, being elected the first time, some things started not adding up there. Mm. And the way that we have been praying for and talking about current, uh, the previous administration, uh, who was a president who was Republican mm-hmm. and how we have been taught to pray and honor and, and, uh, be biblical towards him. Um, the vitriol that uh, we spoke about um, President Barack Obama was different. Um, mm-hmm. The Bible verses seem to not <laughs> apply um, uh, to Barack Obama. And, and I had been unraveling before that, but my eyes started being wide woke. And mm-hmm. I started to notice, wait a minute. And I started to ask other questions and started to realize, oh, wow, wait a minute. And started to think about in this space, all the things that are demonized are things pertaining to ethnicity that are not white. You know, the things that are considered demonic Mm -hmm. are usually black things. Um, which is why Beyonce was demonic, but country songs are not. Um, and I started to ask questions and feel alarmed with the vitriol. We would talk about Oprah Winfrey, Mm. but we didn't feel that towards any other white figures in, um, and so the unraveling for me started to cause me actual pain in my body. Mm-hmm. And in a morning started to take place as I realized I'm an outsider here. Yeah. Uh, and and that, that kept growing throughout the next election cycle and realizing, no, the reason why y'all do not like this man is because he's black. It's actually Period. not. <laughs> and Period. And that dissonance grew to such a painful spiritual level for me that my faith was unraveling because Mm -hmm. everything that I had built had been around thinking that God in the communities I I were in were intertwined, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it was painful in realizing that the Bible, God, and faith communities were not all in in alignment. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. And you saying that just made me think about this, like one question that I've asked myself and continue to ask myself, especially when moving out of certain places and questioning some things was, 
if I were to leave all of this behind, this being, these experiences, these people, these systems, these groups, this theological uh, belief, whatever, would I still have God and would I still enjoy God? Like, what would I have? Yeah. And that's where, um, that's where I had to, and I think it's Dante Stewart who uses this phrase all the time. Uh, he talks about the imagination um, and how like he imagines the world to be, a you know, like a certain way in regards to um, how we experience it, especially as black people. And I think about imagining like as someone who is one considered a minority in this country, in this world two considered a minority because I have a chronic illness um, also considered a minority because I've dealt with what I feel like a lot of people have experienced, but they're, they're not aware that it's, it's common, um, you know, being a victim of spiritual abuse, narcissistic abuse, and having to try to find your experiences vocalized somewhere um, has really led me to try my best to imagine what the kingdom of God would look like for someone like me. Meaning, what would the ideal space look like for someone like me? And how can I to the degree that I can experience that here on this side of eternity. Yes. Um, and we spoke about pain, right? Like for us having chronic illnesses, pain yes. manifests itself in our body. Stress manifests itself in our body. So like when we're talking about these things to, to Robert's audience, when we're talking about these <laughs> things from this perspective, like we have to take into account there are people within our community who literally feel everything that they're going through um these depart these departures from these different places or having to work through tough things literally hurts and so and you have to you have to budget your time and your energy towards them because you don't want to get yourself in a situation where you're dealing with pain that you didn't contribute to um you know what I mean? Like you didn't eat something that triggered you or uh, caused a flare up. You didn't, yeah. you know, do this thing, but this thing outside of you is contributing to your pain and you have to find a way to manage it. And so back to the imagination piece, um, a part of that imagination for me has been, okay, taking it a step beyond imagination because everything that exists right now is because someone imagined it first. Everything that exists creationally i don't know if that's a word creationally <laughs> it's a word we, right do, we doing it right it's a word i don't yeah. think it's a word but creationally yeah everything that we experience even nature is by the work of god and so me thinking like okay ayana how can you experience the things that you imagine right now that's going to cause for some deconstructing that's going to cause for me to there's some black pastors I can't listen to anymore because I know things that they've done behind closed doors that the wider audience that they serve don't know. And if they did know, I'm not too sure that they would be willing to let them go. You know, just, just keeping it a hundred. Yeah. Um, You're right. You, that means that. I almost said, I almost said a name. Thank you. Almost you said something. Yeah. Thank you. God. Mm, yeah. Uh -huh. I mean, 
if you want to experience that world that you imagine, you have to, you have to, you have to make some sacrifices. Um, another sacrifice looks like for me, like with my health, you know, leaving our church that we were, we were a part of, um, due to some issues that were significant, significantly impacting my health so bad to the point where when we finally left and when we moved from where we were living previously, I felt like a whole new person. And I don't, I don't exaggerate that by any stretch of the imagination, my body literally stopped like attacking itself. I was literally sick every day in pain every day. And now my pain is more infrequent. And when I looked at what was feeding it, I didn't realize, like I went to the doctor, a black doctor, um, and she said, when I told her everything I was experiencing in the transition, she was like, that's why you've been experiencing this pain to this degree. Yes, you have a chronic illness, but all of those things aren't because of that. It's because of the literal physical toll, your body keeping the score of all the trauma and all of the difficulties that you've been experiencing. And so when I looked at how different things are impacting my body, I'm like, okay, I can't do that anymore. That, that doesn't work for me. And, you know, me embracing the, the pandemic, um, the, the pandemic providence of having online church, or even being able to, um, realize that church is not, um, specific to a localized physical building. Um, I feel like you've talked about this online before on Mm -hmm. Twitter, but just, it it, it was funny how everyone was in a frenzy about figuring out how to do church without being in person when chronically ill people and differently abled folks have been literally figuring that out for a very long time. And so just thinking through things like that, it's like, okay, taking the weight off myself to, I am the, I am in this season recovering, like letting myself say that I'm recovering right now and I physically cannot go to church, whether that be online or in person, because I'm literally triggered by everything. And that's okay because God has space for me and I can heal and recover here without feeling like I need to give someone a theological dissertation on why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And can I say, my spirit is vexed because, <laughs> uh, you know, the frenzy of the pandemic. Mm. Lord, let, use my words wisely. The frenzy <laughs> of the pandemic, right? And churches now scrambling to your point of mm-hmm. w- what is we going to do now that we can't meet in person, right? And so they scramble to enact systems, mm-hmm. ways of being. We're going to do it this way. We're going to do it this way. <laughs> you know, uh, mic check one, two, one, two. And I met with a couple of pastors mm. and I broke it down to them plain because they, they asked me, here's the plans that we uh, are going to do. And it was more things. <laughs> here's all the plans that we're going to do. And I just sat with them and I said, I'm curious if you uh, met with any chronically ill people or Mm. um, differently able people uh, before you made these plans and uh, not one of them had. Um, Mm. And um, I advised them to do that. Mm. Not one of them did. 
Not surprised. And then after, quote unquote, after the pandemic. <laughs> right, because we're, uh, we're post-pandemic right now. We're post-pandemic now. Uh, That's a ins- joke. Sarcasm. Insert, insert sarcasm. Some <laughs> you got to be that. clear. Yeah, yeah. You got to be clear in these days, <laughs> in, in these latter days. Um, they're right back to where they, they're right back to doing what they was doing. And it's. Uh, these aren't that important. Yeah. And it's sad to me, one, because there's wisdom that could have been gleaned mm-hmm. uh, because of what you said. Mm-hmm. We have been here the whole time. Uh, we know what it's like to be in pain and have to go to church or to Mm -hmm. have to sacrifice or to think about the majority of our friends who are, you know, among the number are Mm -hmm. in that church community. And we know, quote unquote, y'all aren't coming to us. Mm -hmm. So we have Mm -hmm. to go to you and we have Mm -hmm. to make the, we have to make the judgment call. Okay. Mm -hmm if I go, this is what it's going to cost me. Mm-hmm. Um, because we know that our relationships are transactional, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we become more aware of that, <laughs> the more that we don't come to church. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and you, we, we definitely know that when we have to leave the church. Because, <laughs> you know, because uh, uh, the check isn't clearing. Um, and uh, so I'm not clicking, Stephen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, for me, the saddest thing about this pandemic is um, it has shown the lack of of wisdom getting by mm-hmm. by leaders and pastors who refuse to learn from those who are on the margins and those who are multiply marginalized. To your point, those mm-hmm. who maybe people of color and who are chronically ill and who are suffering from a hundred different other things, who are are suffering abuses, who are Mm. suffering in their bodies and their minds, who are all these things. So the multiply marginalized are not among you and you still have not provided systems of care. And now for some, they've realized I don't even need to be in church. And for, for those of us who are like, and it's a blessing, it's a freedom you've moved on and we've moved on Mm. and then still the conversations remain hey make sure you all get back in church and the answer is a resounding no (laughs) or bye felicia or fred (laughs) yeah exactly and you didn't you did you had the time to study for the test Mm. and you didn't study you didn't (laughs) understand the assignment (laughs) you failed the assignment because you had a a whole pandemic, even though we're still in it. Hello. And you didn't adjust. Um, So I wanted to highlight that that portion of what you said, Um, which to me then speaks to this, why that's important is that speaks to this overarching conversation we're talking about deconstructing. And I think it's very important to name this chronically ill piece with uh, being black, because Mm -hmm. here we are two black chronically ill people and now think about all the different chronically ill Black people who are suffering in the midst of church spaces mm-hmm. and who are now divesting, not from just church. Some now have said, I don't need God. Yeah. And now you can flip it on them and say they weren't real believers in the first place, but I have an issue with that. The same. 
Same. I have an issue with you showed them what God was like. Mm. Um, and they're like, if this is God, I don't want it. <laughs> um, yeah, now my spirit is vexed. <laughs> my spirit, <laughs> I'm vexed. Because you show such level of abuse and non-care because you have Black people suffering from mental illnesses of all mm-hmm. kinds. Anxiety. Imagine a Black person struggling with anxiety through this pandemic mm-hmm. and then seeing the level of racial trauma on TV mm-hmm. and then not being cared for. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they're deconstructing hard. And now yeah, some of them... And now some of them said, I don't need God. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I definitely think that, I mean, it's so loaded. Like there's so many angles that we could come approach this from. Yeah. Um, I didn't even mean to land this here, but you, you I just have to, to touch it really quick and then we yeah. can, we can move forward. I just have to yeah, touch it. Yeah, but no, we can, we can. It. Let me yeah. touch the hem of the garment. Yeah, yeah, the- but now we're, we're here. No. All right, glasses on. <laughs> no, but uh, something that you said just triggered me and mm. it was um, the, the people being blamed for deconstructing and they're told essentially like, well, if you left God, you were, you, you never really had God in the first place. Like no one leaves God for people. People have nothing to do with God. Wow. And you know, it's crazy because I used to believe that. Same. And Same. I inherited that. Same. And I felt that in my bones. I felt like you could separate God from God's people and have something left. Like you could say, oh, you know, God is this way and people are just this way. Yes and no. There's nuance there, I'll say. There's definitely a lot of nuance. Um, but but what's what's funny about that is when you say that you can you can't um you can't blame God, if you will, or you can't expect God to be this or that because of how people are, it's just like, hold up, wait, wait a second. You are absolving someone of their responsibility for mal spiritual malpractice and in many in most of these instances if someone has experienced abuse for example racial trauma physical sexual financial verbal emotional trauma from being in a faith-based space with people who are heralding themselves as representatives and shepherds for god and of god and then once you vocalize hey, I'm not down with this anymore, or I have questions, or no one's hearing me. And it's like, well, you just need to learn. That's gaslighting. And I know that lots of things are being labeled as gaslighting. Someone disagreeing with you is not gaslighting. Like someone just disagreeing with you or only disagreeing with you is not gaslighting. But the manner in which they are disagreeing with you can be gaslighting. They're causing you to uh, doubt your own experience. And they know like they're willfully and intentionally trying to cause you to be confused um, or to tell you, well, no, that's not happening. Like it's one thing for someone to be ignorant of something and they're speaking from that. It's another thing for someone to know that, no, this is real, but I'm telling you it's not real because let's focus on this instead. So, um, you know, people are being gaslighted and this is a huge reason why I am 
now a psychology student at Georgia State University oh, starting in the spring <laughs> is because I've, I've heard all of the, the tropes around, oh, you know, emotions are demon, you know, emotions are demonized and mental health is demonized. And it's just like, there are real people ex- experiencing mental health crises who are going unsupported, who need medication, who need not just therapy, because I think there's a misconception that therapy solves everything. Therapy does not solve everything. There are people who need treatment from therapists who can give you a plan. And even in some cases, those who can actually like give you a medical intervention of sorts because of what you've, what you've been experiencing, whether that be racial trauma that resulted in PTSD. And so I really desire to bridge the gap between um, mental health, spiritual formation, and Black folks and people of color. Because at the end of the day, um, all of these things that we're discussing, the deconstruction part of things, like, yes, someone may quote unquote, as it's been said on on the Twitter webs, deconstruct themselves out of the faith. But let's just be generous here. If God is who God says God is, right? And that God will not lose anyone. Why are we so like, why are we so extra about if someone leaves? If someone leaves and God doesn't lose anyone, won't they come back? Won't they resolve the tensions that exist for them specifically that will allow them to continue in a safe place? Like, honestly, it's health and safety over anything for me at the end of the day. Black Coffee and Theology Pod is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. Follow us on Twitter at Three Black Men. If you like the content that you are receiving here and want to receive more, whether that is in longer conversations, essays, devotions, and videos from either myself, Sam, or Trey, please sign up for for our Patreon at patreon.com slash three black men. Don't forget to like, rate, and review Black Coffee and Theology Pod as well as Three Black Men.